You're listening to Tatiana is Everyone, an Orphan Black podcast. I'm your host, Chris. And I'm Stephanie. And in this episode, we are discussing the fourth episode of the third season of Orphan Black, Newer Elements of Our Defense. And while there will be spoilers for this episode, there will be not be any spoilers for future episodes of Orphan Black. I don't know why. I feel like I always have to add that, but I do. <laughs> Just reminding yourself what we're talking about. Oh, so this was an interesting episode for Mother's Day weekend, wouldn't you say, Chris? <laughs> you mean with, with the bad mother? Yes, with with Helena yelling at Dr. Cody, you are a shit mother. <laughs> Let's be honest, she kind of is. Yes. Well, and, and, or really is. And as probably people listening to this podcast know already, the original name for the character in the script was Bad Mother. So, you know, Helena was not far off. Yeah, that is apparently what they were referring to her as in the writer's room. And we also have, speaking of bad mothers, we have Gracie's mother, Bonnie, being terrifying and then horrible. That is true, yes. And, and, no Mrs. S. Sad. In which case, hang on, I forgot to do this the other night. Siobhan! Whenever a character it just sounds so weird to call her Siobhan. I know, but it's easier to yell than Mrs. S. It just sounds better. It's more yellable than Mrs. S. Or we could just be like Sarah and call her S. That works too. That's another one. But I, I, every time a character that I like is missing for two episodes or more, I'm going to start yelling their name. I just want to prepare the listeners for this. It's going to be your thing now? It's going to be my thing. I'm developing a, a, a trademark. Interesting. Okay. I look forward to it, kind of. <laughs> you can, I'll get some e- I'll get some earplugs or something so you don't deafen me. It's fine. Well, yeah, and you can feel free to 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 croon in sadness with me. Or that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so do you want to start off by talking about Sarah? Yes. True to form or something. True to form, we will start with Sarah. As I was revisiting the episode this week, I was just sh- struck again by how impressed i am with sarah's focus yes because like i mentioned in our short episode i i don't know i I, it's hard for me to say that i would have easily left somebody to die but i could imagine a survival instinct kicking in so the fact that she had the intelligence to realize what an asset he could be and also the compassion to overlook the fact that she saw him shoot a man in front of her and then try to kidnap her. You know, I just am very impressed with Sarah's compassion and her focus in trying to find Helena. Yeah, and it seems like season one, Sarah totally wouldn't have done that. (laughs) I agree. Yeah, she would have been much more of a survivor, I need to take care of myself first type of person. Do we think that her compassion and general attitude towards Mark is maybe because of what has happened already with Helena? Uh, cl- uh, expand on what you mean by what has happened to Helena in what regard? A lot has happened to Helena. <laughs> Not to Helena, but with Helena, because the whole thing starts off, Helena is terrifying. Helena is essentially the enemy. Sarah tries to kill Helena, obviously regrets it, Helena turns out to be relatively unharmed, comparatively to what she thought had happened. And Helena has since become a part of the group and somebody she genuinely cares about. And, you know, Helena 
gets along super well with her kid and everything. Like, Helena's part of the family now. So do we think that maybe Sarah is partly open to a, a relationship of some kind, of some kind, with Mark because of that development with Helena? It's possible. I think it's also possible that just because finding out that he's a clone too perhaps makes her more compassionate to her because she has seen how Dyad has used the leader cl- Lita clones as little pawns in a lot of a lot of situations or treated them poorly. And I'm sure it's not a stretch for her to imagine that the Caster clones have seen similar poor treatment and that even though Mark has tried to do some bad things toward her, he could have been brainwashed or just being used and the way that we've seen Helena be used and the other clones be used as well. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, it's definitely these developments of the past two seasons that have, I think, made this possible, right? That mm-hmm. Sarah not just leave him to the wolves, so to speak. Yeah, I agree. I think so. Now, the fact that she calls Mark brother several times in this episode, it rubbed a couple of listeners who who sent us in some feedback the wrong way. Which I'd say is fair. But uh, shall we go ahead and play the the voicemail that we got from Alexis? Let's do it. Hey there, this is Alexis. I think you know me as I'm kind of a twatter on Twitter. And I'm calling to say that lack of Delphine aside, I really liked episode four at Four from Black. Uh, I feel like the pace is finally picking up. Uh, anyway, a few stray thoughts. First, I have to say that I've never personally thought that the caster base was in Afghanistan. Uh, this episode, well, it didn't necessarily confirm that for me, but it didn't really do anything to change my mind on that point either. My initial feeling was that putting it in Afghanistan would be just a little too, I don't know, a little too topical, a little too on the nose or something. Also, just doesn't really make sense to me to have all the evidence of a top-secret military program at a base in an active war zone where, I don't know, it seems like it could be discovered by military people not in the loop or journalists, what have you. I would say, too, that there doesn't appear to be any plausible way to get Helena out of Afghanistan after she inevitably escapes, but she chewed a key out of bone this week, so I guess anything is possible with her. Um, but between this episode and the last, we had Rudy going back and forth between the main clone action in North America and wherever Caster HQ is pretty quickly, so I don't know. I guess being part of the military, they could enable that somehow, but to me, all signs point to a domestic desert location. Or maybe Mexico. Um, I could be totally and completely wrong, but that's just my two cents on the matter. Other thoughts. I completely agreed with you that the big reveal last week about the Lita clones and Castor clones being brother and sister was not nearly the shocking twist the show tried to make it out to be. I think most of us assumed they were somehow related. Uh, to me, the only surprise was that it wasn't more like a mother-child relationship because Lita in mythology was Castor's mom, but... Maybe they named it that way because the Lita project came first and sort of metaphorically gave birth to the separate caster project. I don't know. Um, one thing that was interesting to me about that relationship in this episode was the exchange between Mark and Sarah as she was speaking off the grave. You know, Mark kept wondering why Sarah wanted to help him and said something like, you know, I'm not really your brother, right? And Sarah said something like, biology says you are. Um, and just that they're family. So, I don't know, maybe this was just self-preservation, convince this guy your family so he doesn't kill you kind of talk, but it was an interesting contrast because I feel like one of the major themes of the show has been that your DNA is not your destiny, you know, that even though all these of them are clones, they have very distinct identities. 
Um, another theme is found family. But Sarah here is kind of the voice of biological determinism, in a sense. Your DNA says you're my brother, so you are. I don't have any siblings, so maybe I just don't get how they work, but I don't think that I would feel any kind of instant kinship with someone just because I found out an hour ago that we share DNA. So I thought that was kind of an interesting juxtaposition, some of the other things of the show. Anyway, thank you guys for what you do on the podcast. I love it. Bye-bye. So thank you, Alexis, for sending that in. Erin sent us an email. She also takes issue with Sarah calling Mark her brother, like, a lot. (laughs) People are having huge issues with this, it sounds like. My thoughts, though, in this episode, well, A, it's it's factual. It's a statement of fact. They are biologically siblings. And very often when Sarah says it, she says it that way. It's like, she's very matter-of-fact about it. Right. Yes. But I think primarily she is using the word with Mark because she's trying to foster a relationship with him so that he won't hurt her and also so that he will help her with Helena. Right. I mean, we've seen Sarah do this sort of thing a number of times before. You know, if she wants somebody's help or if she wants them to not kill her, (laughs) as we saw with Daniel in the second season, you know, she she has that exchange with him when he's pulling out the, the razor and he's sharpening the razor and she's starts talking about you know you've got a relationship with rachel right i look like her don't i because she's trying to instill that sense of compassion which daniel does not have no and this is a technique that you i've i've seen people reference it sort of as a recommendation for if you're in a bad situation with somebody to really try to create a familiar relationship with them in order Mm -hmm. to take the situation down a level, calm the person down. And it's not surprising to me that Sarah as a con person would try to do that with people in order to get out of a bad situation. Right. The idea being that it's harder for them to hurt you if they see you as an actual person. Exactly. Basically. Or if they feel like they can relate to you on some level, it makes it more difficult for them to hurt you, etc. Yeah. So I can understand why it rubs people the wrong way, because we think, no, they're not your brother. You don't know them. They've been horrible to you. And Felix, Felix is your brother. Uh, But I I think she's using the word strategically, because that's really what Sarah's doing with Mark this entire episode, right? She's trying to use him for information, use him for a tool, essentially, to to get at Helena, because that's her goal right now. So mm-hmm. I, I really do think it's primarily her using it as a tool to get Mark to help her. Right. And there was some concern, too, about, you know, well, if she keeps insisting on the biology making Mark her brother, what does that mean with her relationship with Felix? And it means nothing about her relationship with Felix, because, I mean, obviously, the show consistently has portrayed that as being the most reliable, stable relationship on this entire show. And, I mean, nothing's going to change that. No. Right? No. They they are no, in no way going to have Mark or any of the other caster clones replace Felix as Sarah's brother. Right. 
speaking of this sibling relationship, I also wanted to clarify what I was attempting to say in our last episode, in our in our long episode about the la- about last week's Orphan Black episode, where we were talking about the relationship between the the Lita and the Caster clones. We got an email from somebody who apparently understood what I was saying to be that the like parents of the original Lita and Caster whomever they are, whoever contributed the original DNA, I was saying like their parents were siblings. No, no, no. That wasn't what I was trying to say. I apologize if that was confusing. I know I was saying it in a very like rudimentary way, but the Lita and Castor originals, whatever, however we want to refer to them, I was trying to say that they are siblings. (laughs) So that means all the Lita clones and the Castor clones are siblings. Right. Because at the time we didn't have clarification on how they'd gotten the genetic samples. Right. So we were leaving it vague with that in mind. <laughs> and uh, yeah. So, but I just wanted to clarify because we did get a couple of people saying, who seemed maybe a little confused. I recognize I did not explain it the best, which is why, which is why when it came to the sciencey stuff in this episode, I reached out to a science consultant. <laughs> because we also got some more hints about the cloning process in this episode. We had that that moment where Sarah sent Kasima a photo of the notebook that she found amongst Henrik's things. And and Kasima mentioned the notation about the SCNT. So we got a little more information about the science behind the clones in this episode, which which perked my interest. But I guess let's first refer to what we we kind of asked a question in our short episode about the significance of their finding Abel's bones. And we got an email, excuse me, we got a voicemail from Carolyn. Thank you, Carolyn, for sending a voice message about her her thoughts about why the, the bones were important to the Castor Clone Project. Hey, guys, this is Carolyn in Melbourne, Australia. You guys were talking about the baby bones and what significance they had and why everyone was so excited about them. My understanding at this point is that the Castor clones DNA has been altered to result in them having the glitch thing happening um, in a similar way that the leader clones have been altered to be um, infertile. And I think the excitement about finding the baby bones is that that is essentially unaltered clone DNA uh, or unaltered DNA from which the clones were then made from. And so if they can find that unaltered DNA, then they can essentially figure out how to fix their their glitching. And the fact that they, the leader and caster clones, are siblings or their original, original people are siblings – then they can sort of be used in a mismatch fashion to sort of fix each other's DNA. Uh, But that was my understanding of the importance of the baby bones. Uh, Great podcast, guys. Thanks. Bye. And thanks again, Carolyn, for sending that in. And uh, because because there is more sciencey information introduced in this episode. And we are terrible at explaining it. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, it's not our field of expertise. <laughs> I thought you were going to say, well, you're terrible, Stephanie. I'm okay. <laughs> uh, or there's that. Whatever. <laughs> not what I was going to say. Not but what do I was you know say. who's even better than you, Chris? Our friend Sally. Well, so much better. And so Stephanie 
very smartly said, hey, Sally, would you mind sending us a, a voice message with actual scientific knowledge? Because <laughs> I was curious about the reveal of the SCNT, the somatic cell nuclear transfer that Kasima mentions. And Sally sent us this really helpful, thorough voicemail about all of that stuff. Bless you, Sally. Hi, Chris and Stephanie. This is Sally. I'm calling you guys to talk about science. So on Orphan Black, Season 3, Episode 4, there is a scene where Sarah and Kasima are talking together on the phone because Sarah has just found the footlocker underneath the bed in Mark and Grace's hotel room. And so she's paging through the notebook and happens across the page that says SCNT. She reports that to Kasima, who says, somatic cell nuclear transfer, it's how you clone cells. And so if you recall, back in Tatiana is Everyone, episode 17, we talked about cloning and clone science. And that was one of the methods that we talked about is somatic cell nuclear transfer. It's where you take a cell from someone's body that is not part of the germline. So it's not an egg or a sperm. And you take a very fine needle and extract the DNA from the somatic cell. Maybe it's like a stomach cell or a skin cell, something like that. And then you inject it into a donor egg and then try to grow a viable embryo. And so there, are, we also talked about other ways you can clone human cells. And one way is very basic. It's called embryo splitting, where you have a fertilized egg that then you just induce to split apart. It's like the natural process of how twins are made. But since I think that we can assume since in these journals, in Henrik's journals, talked about SCNT, that the way they cloned the castor clones and the Lita clones was through somatic cell nuclear transfer and not any other way. And what I extrapolate from that is that there are two original Sarahs and Marks somewhere, the original Lita, the original castor. So they were people that donated their tissue to be cloned. So Sarah and Mark don't have parents as such who contributed their genetic material other than, I guess you could say like the parents of the originals are sort of their parents genetically anyway. But I think this raises a lot of additional interesting questions about how Project Lita, Dyad, the military, whoever, you know, was doing this introduced the genetic modification, the barcode that, you know, is causing the respiratory distress in the Lita clones and then the glitching, whatever it is in the brains of the castor clones. And there are lots of things that we could talk about for, you know, how that would happen. It also gives quite a, a logical kind of progression or leap to how it is that Sarah and Helena you know, are fertile and don't seem to have the modification. And, you know, presumably the baby that Henrik and his wife, scary wife, were trying to create after he stole material. So the the infant corpse that Sarah dug up at Mark's direction, Abel, presumably is a non-altered caster clone so baby Mark, but without any of the glitching. And that seems to be why, you know, Sarah dug up the baby, even though the baby's been dead for 
20 years or so, it's possible that somewhere in that coffin, there's some DNA that they can recover that presumably does not have the genetic modification that's causing the glitching in the castor clones. So that baby, if, if all of the clues in the episode were right, is Mark without modifications and they can extract the DNA. Maybe it's from the teeth roots. Maybe it's from the bone marrow. Maybe there's some other DNA still there might not be complete, but they can use PCR and other molecular biology techniques to amplify it. And then they can discover what is the sequence in the castor clones that was altered and, you know, how can they work on gene therapy to fix the castor clones anyway? So Something similar actually should also be possible if they sequenced Sarah and Helena's DNA and compared it to Cosima and Allison. Anyway, so I think this just scratches the surface of what we learned, but, you know, we learned a lot. And so, you know, I look forward to more scientific reveals and hearing you guys talk about it. Bye-bye. So there you go. And now we've got, you know, more solid information on uh, why they dug up Abel's bones. And that's what I was suspecting. And I think what you kind of thought too, Chris, but I just wasn't entirely sure. I still get a little confused when it comes to all of the, the genomes and the DNA and the gene therapies and all of that stuff. Right. It's a lot of, a lot of stuff, a lot of knowledge. <laughs> what? I don't know. <laughs> it's just, it's a lot to deal with if it's not something you already know about, I guess, is what I'm trying to yeah, say here. It, it can get technical very fast. So thank you for dumbing it down for us, Sally. We appreciate it. <laughs> now, I had read this information somewhere, or maybe I heard it on the official Orphan Black podcast, but Mark reveals some information in this episode about how the castor clones were brought up, and it was very different than the way the Lita clones were. Which I think we all kind of figured. Right. Especially since they seem to know each other. And what he says is that they were raised as a group with no real parents, they weren't allowed outside attachments, and they uh, have essentially been training to be soldiers their entire lives, or since they were very young. Which I know I keep referencing Dark Angel, but if you've seen Dark Angel, it sounds very much like the uh, Project Manticore situation. There was a Project Manticore? I love the word Manticore. <laughs> Maybe you should watch Dark Angel then. <laughs> you like this word, Stephanie? Try this television series. <laughs> I'm just saying. <laughs> So it's not surprising. I, I don't think it's particularly surprising to hear how the castor clones were raised. It also, by extension, makes sense that the castor clones, from what we've seen so far, aren't as distinct from each other as the Lita clones. Not to say that Rudy is the same as Mark. They're, they're different characters, but I think there's less distinction between the castor clones that we've met so far than there, there are between our, our main group of Lita clones. Well, because as we've talked about, there's sort of this whole nature-nurture thing, discussion that's been going on because of the different ways they've been raised. So they're essentially taking that out of the factors when dealing with the caster clones, theoretically. Oh, and then going back to Abel, I was pondering the significance of the baby being named Abel. Mm-hmm. 
because obviously Henrik and, and Bonnie very religious. And in the Bible, we had Cain and Abel, who were the the offspring of Adam and Eve, which really it might play into Henrik and possibly also Bonnie's kind of God complex, the fact that they named their first child Abel. That's fair. But I think it's interesting because Cain was the first one born. So he was the first human born, right? Because per per the Bible, Adam and Eve were created. They were not birthed. And then Abel became the first human to die when Cain killed him. It's So I'm wondering if that means Henrik and Bonnie knew that Abel would die when he was born? Or hmm. maybe not. Maybe it's just, again, the God complex thing, our first offspring. Let's name... Name him, you know, one of the first two humans in the world because, you know, I think we had the sense that Henrik was creating his own little empire of children. You. That's a bad phrase, but you you get what I'm saying. (laughs) I said you. Yes, I get what you're saying. (laughs) (laughs) But I I was pondering the significance of the fact that they they named him Abel. You also have a comment here about Gracie. And because I'm a picky, picky jerk face... I'm going to point out that back in episode 203, Henrik called Gracie his firstborn. This is a gloatment. This would be a gloatment (laughs) right here. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) I love finding potential little continuity errors. I don't know why. It just, it's, I find it very satisfying. Did we get a, a birth date on Abel, though? No, but Mark says, Henrik said he had a child, he and Bonnie had a child before Gracie was born. Oh. Now, well, here's another thing, though. Is it a continuity error, or is Henrik just lying to Gracie? That is the the possibility. I knew you would come with me with the possible explanations. I was just waiting. So... (laughs) It's what I do. I know it is. I know it is. A possible explanation one. He hasn't told any of his other children about their first child who who died when it was when it was very young. But then it seems weird that he would tell Mark and nobody else. Option two, he's a big fat liar face who's trying to, you know, charm his daughter, which I guess is more more possible. But at the same time, I find it odd that he would phrase it that way. Could he because he could just say, You're my eldest or you're my oldest. And as as somebody who well I don't want to. I don't want to bring people down. But I had a. I had a sibling who, who passed away, and you know, I I know other people who had children who not all of them survived young, you know, childhood, and they were all, always very conscientious about including their children who had who had been born but not lived to be very old. So it's odd to me that he would use that phrasing. Does mm-hmm. that make sense? No, it does. I mean, I, I get what you're saying, but I don't know. Hmm. But like I said, I was just going to point it out. There are po- there are possible explanations, but I just wanted to put it out there. Right. No, I mean, that's a good point. But now I'm thinking about, well, what do we know about Henrik and, you know, the Prolethians in general? And maybe because, as you said, because they do have the God complex and, you know, this whole cult leader thing, maybe they don't want anybody like maybe it really is secret that Abel has died. You know what I mean? Like, they don't want to be seen as fallible in any way. So, I don't know. That's a good point, too. I also wanted to mention that I really liked hearing 
what Sarah had to say about Helena when she and Mark, well, she was digging up Abel's bones. Mark was supervising her with a gun. It was, I don't know. I just, I really liked what, like, I, I like how we've gotten to see Sarah's perspective on Helena change. Mm-hmm. And we don't often get to hear her talk about Helena to other people anymore. So it was nice to have Mark as a sounding board to get Sarah's thoughts on her. Because I feel like she was being honest. I don't think she was lying to him. Right. I did see something on Tumblr, I think it must have been, where, you know, cause this this season, there have been a lot of posts with parallels between previous scenes or or comments and comments that we've gotten in the new episodes. And so, so whoever made this gift set thing on Tumblr paralleled the instance of, of Kira telling Sarah, like, you know, oh, Helena's not a real monster with Sarah telling Mark she's not a monster. Yeah, I just I love her perspective on Helena now that she recognizes that Helena can be violent, can be dangerous, but she's not a monster to Sarah anymore. I, I know that sounds weird to be heartwarming, but it was really heartwarming <laughs> to hear. Well, yeah, I mean, I was rewatching some of season two earlier. And, you know, there's that whole the shower scene in episode 204. And it's just, you know, it feels like everything sort of shifted in that moment. Which is weird <laughs> because of what we see Helena do. <laughs> but, you know, I think that is one of those things where I can see how how Sarah's mind would change in that moment. You know? Uh, yeah, I agree. Terrifying as it is at first. Anyway. Hi, Chris and Stephanie. It's Lisa again. Just a couple quick thoughts about this past week's episode. Um, the first one was about Helena, and um, I don't know if anybody else thought this way, but to me, she just seemed a little off this week. I don't know if it was the way she was written or just the way Tatiana and Maslany played her, but in my mind, her movements and her thoughts are sort of, uh, for lack of a better word, fuzzy, um, whereas Sarah's are more precise. And in this episode, she seemed to be acting almost Sarah-like, uh, which seemed kind of out of character to me. And um, also her speech was a lot more precise, and um, I think the accent was generally pretty good, but just her speech pattern just didn't seem quite right to me either. And, you know, it's one of those things that's hard to enunciate, and uh, or it's hard to put into words what I mean, but I don't know, maybe other people thought the same way, maybe it's just me. Um, the other thing was the guy, I think his name was Parsons, with his brain sticking out. That really reminded me of the scene at the end of the movie Hannibal, where Anthony Hopkins is um, cooking Ray Liotta's brain and serving it to him. And it just to me, it just felt a little ridiculous, because I kept thinking of how I laughed about it in the movie. And... You know, it almost made me think, I hope this isn't the jump the shark moment. I doubt it because the show has been so good to this point. But just to me, it, I don't know, it just didn't really get me. <laughs> so um, thanks for listening and I love the show. Bye. But speaking of Helena, it was great to have far more concentrated Helena time in this episode and get to see her be sneaky and resourceful. It was so 
sort of rewarding, I thought, to see Helena be just as resourceful as Sarah has always been shown, you know? Especially in, like, the first season we were talking about the the scene where Sarah is at the police station and has to go in to get questioned about this thing that she knows nothing about. Right. So she drinks soap. (laughs) I feel like this is Helena's drinking soap moment. Because it's stuff that, like, who would think to do any of this? (laughs) Right. Yeah, I think they, the writers were very much paralleling Sarah and Helena in this episode. They they do it a lot. And I, and I think this was one episode where they were making a special effort because, you know, like we mentioned in our short episode, we see them both show compassion to a caster clone, even though it's perhaps not the wisest thing to do. And Helena, I feel like even even more so than Sarah, had no other ulterior motives to do it. She just saw someone in pain and helped him the way that Helena would help. I think there was actually a comment, though, in an interview with Graham or John or possibly Graham and John, where they were talking about how part of it, though, like it was sort of a it was a twofer for Helena. Like she was genuinely concerned about this, this guy that she sort of that she identified with. And so there was just like a a genuine act of compassion. But also she was kind of doing it as like a screw you to the caster people. (laughs) That's fair. That's fair. Anyway. But I do think we see, you know, we see them both have these moments with caster clones. Like you said, we're getting to see Helena be strategic and crafty and resourceful, like we see Sarah being in this episode, like we've seen her be in previous episodes. And, you know, Helena obviously has a different touch than Sarah. (laughs) (laughs) Scalpel to the brain. (laughs) That kind of touch. (laughs) That kind of touch. Throwing feces at people. That kind of touch. (laughs) Sarah or Helena lives a little bit louder than Sarah does. <laughs> the I'll I'll make my arm completely numb so that I can avoid the effects of of a sedative. Mm-hmm. Yes, though I could actually see Sarah do that. That that I could definitely see Sarah do that. That's true. But uh, <laughs> Sarah probably wouldn't have a conversation with her mind scorpion after that, though. Probably not. But how great is the mind scorpion? He was a little less comedic sidekick. Or. Pupak, have they have they given Pupak a gender? No, but since since played by Tatiana Maslany, I'm gonna say it's female. Okay, we'll go with we'll go with she then. Excuse me. I mean, I don't know. No, that's fine. We'll go with she. So Pupak was was less comedic sidekick and more. I don't know, like coach, football coach, kind of like. <laughs> And don't be a blundering idiot. Yeah, hardcore trainer, you know, like yelling at Helena. Don't be a blundering idiot. Get back here. We need to get back before anybody notice we're gone. But still, Pupak, very helpful. I like Pupak. Pupak is like a a, a sassier, pushier Jiminy Cricket. <laughs> I like it. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I'm just saying. We got some feedback from Nikki, who said, I love seeing Helena eating in this episode. We all did. There was a big hearty chuckle at Chris's house when (laughs) Helena was chomping on the piece of meat. (laughs) I actually sent out a tweet that, uh, finally, Helena and food OTP. (laughs) But Nikki continues, it was nice to see the strategic side of her, though the scene between her and Parsons was really hard to watch. I think she did for him as she might want if she was in his situation. It was really interesting seeing Helena be in that position. 
And Benjamin sent us an email too, saying, I think that the male clone's unstable behavior could be linked to their genetic flaw. Perhaps after they're cured, they might become less crazy, which would set things up for a sequel series that is more focused on the caster clones. Also, I think the clone with the exposed brain was just being experimented on in the interest of finding a cure. And I think that last sentence was in response to our conversation about whether he was being tortured or not. And Oh, I didn't and, think yeah. he was actually being tortured for no reason. Oh, I know, I know. But I think even though they did have a a reason for what they were doing, it's it's interesting to see the lengths to which the caster project is willing to subject their their subjects to quite, you know, gruesome procedures. <laughs> Right. For the sake of the, you know, the overall health of the the project, I suppose. Right. Like, I don't know what I was expecting when Helena pulled that sheet off of his head, but that was not what I was expecting. No, no, because I'm not even sure if that's practical. Like, (laughs) is that a thing? Like, I've heard of removing a skull cap and and maybe putting a bandage kind of over the where the skull cap was was removed for brain surgery. But that I'm just like, is that even a thing? Would people do that? I have no idea. I feel like at the very least, there wouldn't just be a little cloth over the brain, the exposed brain. Yeah, that seems impractical. Yeah. But then there are like electrodes stuck in there. So I don't know. I just don't know anymore, Stephanie. (laughs) (laughs) This show has me so messed up. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, it it really takes you places. (laughs) Places we didn't really want to (laughs) go. But that's okay. That's okay. We also got some email from Femme, and she had some comments about Gracie and her storyline in this episode. She says, Since Gracie got banished from the Prolethians, I'm pretty interested where her story arc will go from here. We saw a very little snippet of her in the preview. I guess I didn't see the preview. (laughs) But after what happened to her in such a short amount of time, I wouldn't be surprised if she is filled with rage and eventually could kill a man. And then in parentheses, as a note to me, she says, maybe Mark or another caster clone so that Stephanie will be happy again. (laughs) (laughs) Which made me giggle. (laughs) See, I didn't feel bad about forwarding you the message because I don't think it's a great leap or anything to think that Gracie might have been in the preview, so. Oh, I know. I'm just teasing. But I was curious. I didn't think it would it would it was likely we'd never see Gracie again. But I am very curious where her storyline will go from here. Do we think she will try to find Mark? I mean will what will happen to Gracie, do we think? I'm not going to comment because I did watch the preview for next week. Okay. So you're not even going to pretend to to theorize with me or, or, or speculate with me, I should say? Um, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, I, I agree with what you're saying. Like, it makes sense that maybe she'd try and look for Mark. But then it also makes sense that maybe she wouldn't because, you know, Sarah told her that Mark was a clone, too. So maybe the sense of betrayal is too much and she won't. I mean, I don't know. But I'm just... If she doesn't go looking for Mark, I'm curious who else she might look for. I doubt she'd go looking for Helena if she wouldn't go looking for Mark, even though she and Helena kind of had had some nice moments at the end of season two. I was going to say, I mean, Helena was the one who sort of encouraged her to leave. So I don't know. Yeah. Maybe she would. But I, I, it's unlikely Gracie would be able to find Helena on her own. So I'm just, I'm wondering what's going to happen to Gracie. No comment. <laughs> 
I'm also curious about this Mr. Appleyard character that we see Bonnie and the rest of her group has moved in with. I don't like him. I don't like him. And is is he going to become, like, take Henrik's place? I don't know. Bonnie seemed to be pretty in charge. Well, but didn't you still get the vibe that it's like, oh, we lost Henrik, so we must find a new alpha male? Yeah, I did get that sense. And therefore, I don't like him. <laughs> since he's Fair. Since he's replacement Henrik and ew, you know? And ew. Did you get the sense that there was a moment that we were supposed to take notice of when he very rudely puts his hand on Gracie? I don't know. I don't know. Because he gets a concerned look on his face, a confused look on his face. And then obviously later in the episode, we see that Gracie has a miscarriage. Mm -hmm. What is that moment supposed to indicate to us, I'm wondering? I have no idea. Because it's so early in the pregnancy, I think. Yeah. I don't know what it is he's supposed to be able to sense, you know? Right. Because I she wouldn't have been far along enough for for the baby to move, to be moving. And yeah, I'm just not I sure. I mean, the, the fetus would be like super tiny too. So it's not like, you know what I mean? Because I think at this point, I think they said Helena would have just been like a couple months along. Is it that far? I think so. Well, because the... the well, I'm not sure how they measure it because she was implanted. Because usually they measure pregnancy from your from your previous uh, menstrual period. Mm-hmm. So there's like automatically a month in there where. So I'm just not sure how long she's how far along she's supposed to be. But it seems unlikely that he was expecting to feel the baby moving or something like that. So what does that movie? What does that moment mean? I just don't know. I don't know either. But my dad was quizzing me about the miscarriage a little bit. So I looked it up. Apparently, most miscarriages that take place in the first trimester of pregnancy occur because of chromosomal abnormalities. Hmm, interesting. I did think that was interesting. So do we think that because Gracie miscarried, that Helena will miscarry? Well, not necessarily, because apparently the chromosomal abnormalities don't necessarily have anything to do with the health of the parents. So, I mean, I don't know. Do you think it's possible she there were chromosomal abnormalities because we because Henrik was the father of the baby and he's also Gracie's father? I don't know. <laughs> I'm not expecting you to have answers, Chris. I just am inviting you to ponder. <laughs> and I am pondering and all I'm coming up with is is question marks in my brain. <laughs> and and shrugging. <laughs> But I just am, ugh. I didn't really like Bonnie before. In fact, I probably really disliked Bonnie before. And I, I dislike her even more now. Like, the the amount of shame and silencing that exists already around miscarriages, and to see her tell her daughter what she did after having gone through something horrible, I'm just, she's such a horrible person. She is. That is true. Bonnie's the worst. Rudy and Bonnie, the worst. <laughs> Lots of people are the worst, apparently. In in Chris terminology or something. I don't know. Annette left a comment on our website saying, Poor Gracie, Mama Bonnie has got to go. I find her fascinating, though. Even though I dislike her, I find Bonnie pretty interesting. I wouldn't That's mind fair. her being 
involved in storylines, but I want something bad to happen to her. Because <laughs> I'm vindictive, apparently, this season. Especially vindictive. And then we'll both go, deserved it. Exactly. But yeah, Bonnie did have that line to Gracie, you've ruined the last chance for this family, and I want to know what we think that means. Yeah, that was interesting. I, I think... Do we think it's because she was carrying Henrik's descendant? Yes. Okay. Yes. Because that was very much a cult built around Henrik and his progeny, it suggested. And if Gross. he's dead, as... As is very strongly it has been said by by Gracie that that Henrik died in the fire, she that would be the last of Henrik's children, I suppose. But like, where are the rest of the kids? That's a good question. Maybe they were all up in their rooms sleeping. <laughs> Let's hope so. Yeah, or maybe Child Protective Services did like come in and and rescue them. I don't know. Hmm. But we were told there was a cut scene. In 209, where Helena gets all the children out of the the farm. So, presumably, they are alive. Right. But that's a good question, because we didn't see them in the sitting room with the rest of the Prolethians at Mr. Appleyard's house. So many questions. <laughs> we got a message from Francie asking, Do we now think that Henrik fertilized Helena with the sperm of the original caster and not his own, or injected some caster DNA? I'm going to say I hope not. Obviously, things can change on this show, <laughs> or uh, not so much that as we can think one thing and then learn that we are wrong on this show. But I will point out that in episode 209, when Helena is pondering whether to give Henrik cow baby, she, he does say to her to try to get her to not do what she's about to do. Helena, I am the father of your child. So he very strongly says there that He's the father of of Helena's babies, but the whole injected some caster DNA. I don't even know how that would work, <laughs> so I don't even know if that's a possibility. Yeah, uh, I don't know. And of course, Henry could be pulling a Sarah and like telling her stuff to try and get her to not hurt him. <laughs> but yeah, I don't. I don't know that there's any reason to think that would necessarily not be true. Because Mark also says something similar when he is having it out with Henrik, and he says something like, did you have to be the father, too? Referring to the the child that Gracie was carrying. So we have we have two references to Henrik having fertilized Helena's eggs with his sperm. Mm -hmm. <sighs> Shall we move on? <laughs> <laughs> I don't, I don't want to talk about the gross Prolethians anymore. <laughs> <laughs> then let's talk about... The Hendrixes. Speaking of, <laughs> let's have some comic relief from our discussion here. Well, we're we're gonna do a smash cut, much like they used in the episode, from Mark <laughs> groaning in pain over his gunshot wounds to Mo to Donnie moaning pitifully because he's carrying heavy boxes. <laughs> I loved that. <laughs> I thought that was hilarious. It was pretty good. Oh dear, but yeah. Uh, although I did catch upon rewatch, Donnie did mention his sciatica because i think it was uh allison's like is it your sciatica and he, yeah it's my sciatica so like it's not just that donnie's weak <laughs> <laughs> i mean that might be part of it i don't know but he's actually experiencing pain from like a crushed spinal nerve so you know 
That would hurt, I'd imagine. But I do like that when she takes the boxes from him, she says, lift with your legs, Donnie. <laughs> and then he says, thanks, sweetie, you're the best. <laughs> or something like that. Although I think it wasn't just soap in those boxes, right? Because that was one of those was the one labeled um, purple drank, right? No, he that was the pill boxes. Remember, he's that was the boxes he was holding after they'd switched. Was that on, on the one that he was holding? Yeah. Okay. And it, by the way, I love that she so clearly, carefully labeled her drug box. <laughs> well, it's just because if it was purple drank, because it is drank, it's liquid. So it would be heavy is what I'm getting at here. <laughs> or it's it, it might not be liquid, though. It could be the name of a particular strand of, of weed or something like that. That is not what purple drank is. It's an actual thing. Oh, okay. I, I have heard there... of this for some oh. reason. Oh, my gosh. I know. <laughs> No one is as surprised as me, but I have heard of this. It is, it's like a, it's like a, I don't, I don't even remember now what all the things are in it, but I think it's like cough syrup and whatnot, but it is, it is a beverage, I believe. So the more, you know, (laughs) unless, unless I'm mistaken, but I'm pretty sure that's what I heard recently. So I'm curious though, why you would purchase that from a drug dealer and not just make it yourself. Uh, Laziness. Okay. I mean, I don't know what the other stuff is in it either, though. It could be. Let me Google it. (laughs) (laughs) Hang on. I guess it's less risky than than Googling Iceland plus hacking. (laughs) (laughs) The things I am Googling today have nothing in common, but... uh, Oh, here we go. (laughs) Wikipedia knows... Purple drank <laughs> is a slang term for a concoction which includes a prescription strength cough syrup used in a manner inconsistent with its labeling as a recreational <laughs> drug. <laughs> I love that phrasing. Used in a <laughs> manner inconsistent with its labeling. <laughs> okay. That answered my question, though. That's why. It's prescription strength cough syrup. Right. Okay. Oh, codeine. Mm, okay. There you go. That makes sense. <laughs> The prescription strength cough syrup used in purple drank contains codeine and promethazine. The cough syrup used in doses much higher than medically recommended is typically mixed with ingredients such as the soft drink Sprite or Mountain Dew, and optionally, quote, a Jolly Rancher hard fruit candy thrown in for extra sweetness. Ew. Yeah. That sounds gross. The amount of cough syrup used can exceed up to 25 times the recommended dose. Yikes. The concoction is, quote, typically consumed out of styrofoam cups. Chris and I are clearly hardcore drug users. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my. (laughs) That sounds very strong, Chris, doesn't it? (laughs) I'd basically take a sip of that and pass out, I think. (laughs) Although maybe that's why the the caffeine, if they use the uh, Mountain Dew instead of Sprite. I don't know. Mm. I don't know. That Mm. just, no. (laughs) Say no to purple drink. (laughs) (laughs) I gotta say, I kind of loved Jason's henchman, the guy who was eating the food in the backyard. (laughs) I don't know why, but I really enjoyed that actor. I just loved his, like, I kind of don't care attitude. (laughs) (laughs) He was sort of nonchalant, yeah. And he shushes Allison, who then says, did you shush me? (laughs) I love how Allison just takes umbrage at the shushing. 
Well, the funny thing to me is, you know, she's totally shushed Johnny at least twice that day already. <laughs> That's probably true. <laughs> Allison's like, no, I am the one who does the shushing. Exactly. That's what I feel her reaction is like, no, no, no. I shush. You don't shush me. I shush. <laughs> and of course, Allison's high school boyfriend is now a drug dealer. Like, of course he is. I wonder. No. <laughs> She was in Godspell in college, right? So he didn't sell her the pot then. Yeah, probably not. And I, I have to mention the mittens again. Because mittens. I didn't... She's wearing mittens as well as the hat and the scarf? Yeah. Okay. I missed those. That's part of what made the, the handshake deal with the drug dealer so funny. <laughs> she is wearing hand-knit mittens to go along with that. <laughs> I've got to say, mittens are warmer than gloves. They are, because then it's like trapping heat. Exactly. Rather than each of your little fingers being separate from it. You can't, you can't share heat between fingers if you wear gloves. Exactly. And finally, let's talk about Cosima and Felix. I can't believe you held off on Cosima for so long. <laughs> I'm, I'm trying to, trying to grow, stretch, allow, you know, other people to have feelings about other things, too. People? Me? Yeah, you. Oh, <laughs> thank you. And listeners, you know. I just, they're not here right now as we're recording this. Fair. <laughs> but we got an email from Nikki who said, I thought Kasima and Felix hanging out was really sweet. I did not so much like Felix pushing Kasima to start dating again. I guess, though, it is natural for someone who is going through a breakup to try to move on. I love Kasima and Delphine together, and I am still hoping that they will get back together this season. This sounds to me like a much more articulate version of everything I have been reading on Twitter all week. Well, let's not be judgy. We'll say a much calmer version of what you've been reading on Twitter. Okay. I, I'm just saying most of what's on Twitter is like, feels. Oh, fair. Okay. That's fair then. <laughs> it's it's the equivalent of <laughs> Delphine, but on Twitter and about, uh, <laughs> don't date anyone else, Kazima. <laughs> Well, I like Kasima and Delphine. Their relationship has always been complicated and to the extreme. So I'm not surprised that they are needing to take a break from their relationship. Plus, I've seen a TV show before. <laughs> and yes. Even if Kasima and Delphine end up together, I knew there would be some time they would not be dating. Yeah, just like the rules of television kind of dictate... You know, if this goes past the season, they're probably not going to stay together the whole time. So, yeah. It's almost surprising they've stayed together as long as they have. It is. It is. But I gotta say, I love the idea of a grinder like dating app for queer ladies called Sapphire. I thought that was a great name that they picked. Okay. No? You don't think so? I don't know. It's okay. <laughs> I mean, I have no... I have no opinions about um all the dating apps well it's kind of it kind of sounds like sapphic you know oh uh-huh but it's it's a it's also a gem which sapphire it, it i won't go more into it but i i, I think it's a good name choice okay that's fair <laughs> i i for one am pleased that felix is like getting Kasima out of the house because one can only sulk for so long in her delphine sweater yes I gotta say, Delphine seems to be embracing the fuzzy this season, because the mm -hmm. blue coat she was wearing in, in 301 also was fuzzy up top. 
She kind of always has, though, because remember the uh, the the sweater that she was wearing in episode one hundred eight. Yeah, but that I don't know. I don't think of that as fuzzy in quite the same way. But you're right. That is a very knitted, plushy type of sweater. It looks kind of like um, oh, not angora, but um, oh, mohair maybe. Hmm, maybe. It was lightly furry, is what I'm saying. <laughs> But I thought it was sweet what, to hear what Felix was saying to her about, you know, needing to find the one who you still are thinking about and still want to be with no matter what happens. Mm-hmm. Though I don't think that Kasima has given up on Delphine. I think she's going through an understandable mourning period. Right. She's getting some perspective. So I, I feel like Kofine Del- or Kofine Shippers, Science Girlfriend Shippers... I feel like they need to maybe have a little patience. I I think I think it's going to be okay. It's just, you know, this stuff is going to happen in between now and then. <laughs> yes. And and try to stay calm. <laughs> and please don't tweet anything mean to anybody else. Oh, random uh, random thought here. Is it just me or is it weird that Kasima put Sarah on speakerphone at Bobby's bar? A little. I mean, I understand she wanted Felix to hear, but that's a strange conversation to put on speakerphone. Well, especially since it's talking about all sorts of top secret nonsense. Like, I just... And Sarah's calling from a hotel room that she broke into. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's just, it doesn't seem like the smartest thing, maybe. At least go find a quiet corner or something, right? Yes. But they're in the middle of the bar. <laughs> Can I say, I thought it was it was very lucky that... Gracie and Mark were staying in a super old school hotel that still had keys and rather than the, you know, the scanty card thingies. Mm. Otherwise, it would have been a lot more difficult for Sarah to find where they were staying. That's probably true. I, I can't remember the last time I stayed in a hotel that gave me a physical key. It's almost always little slide cards. Mm-hmm. So we, we got an email from our friend Jess, who has a Lost Girl podcast called Those Who Wander. This email was titled, I can relate everything to Star Wars. It's a gift and a curse. <laughs> and the content of the email was, I'm pretty sure Helena is being held on Tatooine. And Allison and Donnie are totally droids, the comic relief. I do enjoy their separate misadventures from the rest of the gang. So there you go, Stephanie. Helena's on Tatooine. Which one's Tatooine again? <laughs> is that where Luke Skywalker is from? Yes. Anakin Skywalker is from? Yes. Okay. And Allison and Donnie are like C-3PO and R2-D2. Yes, I actually emailed her back to ask which one was R2. And she said that she used to think it was Donnie, but now she's leaning towards Allison. Yeah, I think it's Allison. R2 is the more capable droid of the two, so... Yes, that's why. (laughs) Plus, the little high-pitched beeping noises, not unlike Allison's voice. (laughs) (laughs) I was not expecting that, and it startled me. <laughs> didn't know I did an R2-D2 impression, eh? I didn't. I didn't. My partner does a... Does a... What's his name? The Wookiee. Oh, Chewbacca. Yes, she does a Chewbacca impression, which freaks me the heck out. She's not allowed to do it. <laughs> uh, next time I see her and you leave the room, I'm going to have her do it. <laughs> 
But we also got a message from Ash, who is Dark Delphine on Twitter. Tumblr. No, on Tumblr, excuse me. And Ash misses Delphine quite a bit. I believe it was points three through seven. <laughs> it was like one, two, three, and six. Okay. <laughs> of a six-point message, seven-point message? I think there might have been a seventh point, but okay. yes. <laughs> but <laughs> the majority of the points were about missing Delphine. <laughs> yeah. I think she might miss Delphine more than Cosima does. Ooh, Chris. No, I mean, Cosima misses her a lot. I'm just, I, I want you, I mean, this is what I'm saying. Like, okay. Ash misses her a lot, like a lot, a lot. <laughs> Like, one in six were specifically, Delphine! I'm just saying, it was, it was a lot. <laughs> yeah, I'm looking at, at Ash's message again here. Point seven also has to do with Delphine. Okay. <laughs> it's more about, like, Cosima and Delphine, but I'm just saying. <laughs> we are not ma ma mocking Ash's missing... Delphine. I miss Delphine, too. No, no. I mean, we're, we're all for fangirling out about stuff or uh, fanboying, whatever. Having fan feelings. Feels. We have Delphiles here as well. <laughs> and Dan, who is Avatar81 on Twitter, said, Is it just me or is not a lot happening this season? Almost halfway through, yet the only major plot developments are Lita and Castor being siblings and Sarah being held hostage. I also feel like a lot of plot strands, Allison and Cosima in particular, are way too separate from the main plot. Thoughts, Chris? You know, I, I guess that's fair. I think we've said things similar to this, right? Yeah, I, I have the same sense, too. I was thinking about it. And even this last episode, it's like, really, not a ton happened. But I from the beginning, it seemed like this season was going to be more differently paced than previous seasons, and I'm still have like I'm still trying to get used to that. Mm -hmm. It did. This season did feel like it sort of started out with sort of restructuring a yeah. little, which makes sense given the new clone line, the new players on the block. But yeah, it feels like it's a lot of setup so far. Yeah, which is very unusual. Usually since this show only gets 10 episodes a season, things are just moving at a breakneck pace, but it's been very different this season. I think John Fawcett did mention at some point that they deliberately started this season off differently than they had before. But yeah, I, I'm not sure. I'm not sure yet if it's paying off, I guess. Is that fair? Yeah. Since Dan was talking about more general thoughts about the season, I'll go ahead and read some more thoughts from Francie. She said, speaking of, when she broke up with Cosima in 301, meaning Delphine, I thought this could be a great chance for both Cosima and Delphine to grow as characters and get their own storylines, but I haven't really seen it yet. I guess Evelyn was busy filming X Company, which is fine, and explains her absence from Orphan Black. It's just confusing after she had so much screen time in 301. And as much as I love Sarah, Helena, and Allison, I really hope to see more of Cosima in Season 3. I know we still have six episodes left, but there is so much caster stuff going on that I'm afraid we won't find out a lot about our beloved Lita clones. And I gotta say, I'm kind of confused why they chose to structure the season like they have. Because back in, in the first episode of the season... My big 
concern or, or thing that really threw me about that episode was I felt like I had Delphine whiplash because we saw this huge shift in her character. And mm-hmm. it's strange that they did that in the first episode and then she's gone for three episodes. I feel like why didn't they wait and have that storyline be in episode four or five or whenever Delphine comes back? Because they wanted us to suffer for these three episodes, I feel like. <laughs> <laughs> so it's it's like, whoa, brand new Delphine, and she's scary and terrifying, and now we're going to take her away, and you're going to just have to stew in it. <laughs> well, because also that uh, that first episode really exists very separately from the rest of what we've seen so far. Like, you could really lift out that first episode and not be all that confused going into episode two. You know what I mean? Like, there's not a whole lot of continuation of what we see in episode one throughout episodes two, three, and four. Yeah. So that's very different for Orphan Black. Yeah. Again, I think it's going to sort of play out later. But yeah, it is perhaps a bit uh, discombobulating that they did it that way. And I do think that Kasima and Allison are pretty separate from the storylines at the moment. And I'm not entirely sure why they're taking this route with Kasima's storyline either, because that was, it seemed like they would have, there was more urgency about her illness in season two, and they've really drawn back and slowed down that storyline in season three. And I don't know, I'm just like, it's maybe it's because Kasima's my favorite, but she's always sort of been a, a, a third lead of the show, maybe even a fourth lead. I would say Sarah's definitely the lead clone. Then we've got... Helena slash Allison is kind of second leads, and then Kasima has always been more off to the side. And I keep hoping that Kasima will become more prominent in storylines, but it hasn't really happened yet. Yeah, I don't know. I know people are probably getting frustrated with me being like, we'll wait and see. But that is <laughs> that is where I am at. That is just sort of my show watching mentality. Which is understandable. And I apologize for taking the time to go into my thoughts about the season so far, but since it's back to back to back to back, we don't really have time to pause and do a like mid-season review episode, so I thought I'd go ahead and say it now. No, I think I think it's <laughs> worth talking about. I'll also say for myself that I'm trying to be more open-minded about the caster clones. I, I feel like I was grumpy about them going into the season, and so I'm trying to be trying to be less grumpy and... I've been thinking about it the past week or so, and and I can understand why John and Graham might have felt like the Dyad and Prolethean storylines might have run their course a bit at the end of season two. Mm-hmm. Though they did introduce Topside, which hasn't really featured very prominently yet, but that's a separate thing. I will say, though, I if they're going to explore the Caster Project more, I, I guess I would rather them do it more like they did in this episode, th- like through the Lita clones interacting with Caster clones, mm-hmm. rather than just have scenes with Caster clones. Right. That's fair. I have mixed feelings about a lot of this stuff, because I see where everybody is having issues with it. Like, I understand that, and it makes sense to me. But at the same time, it's kind of like, well, every season we've get sort of new, you know, antagonists. And they they have their own bits of storyline. So I, I, I hesitate to say that it's too much just because I feel like we do need to get some sense of them outside of the Lita clones. But it is more entertaining for me to watch when it is when it is stuff that includes the Lita clones. So yeah, it's the the good side and the bad side of having Helena with them, just as it was with 
having her with the Prolethians last season, you know? It's like, you don't want to see her there in that situation, but at least it sort of makes it worth watching the scenes with them in it. <laughs> because, like, hey, it's Helena, and she's being awesome. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> well, no, that, and that's fair. I'm not trying to say you have to have the same opinion as I do. I, I, I get where you're coming from. But I, I just wanted to go ahead and say that I'm going to try to be more open-minded about the Caster clones. I'll stop rooting for them to die. <laughs> Except for Rudy. Except for Rudy. <laughs> I'm going to root for Rudy to die, but I'll leave the others alone. <laughs> are, are you going to not yell during the episode anymore? Why isn't he dead, Chris? Yes, I promise. Okay, thank you. <laughs> In this episode where we see Marcus looks like he's unconscious, maybe dead, and, you know, Rudy checks his pulse, and then he says to Sarah that, you know, Mark can't hear you very well. I did turn to Chris say and say, is he dead now, Chris? Is he dead now, Chris? Is he dead now, Chris? <laughs> and I said, shh. <laughs> I will shush you like Allison. <laughs> <laughs> and my partner just passed me a note saying, and I want Rudy castor rated. <laughs> <laughs> I probably shouldn't laugh, but I'm laughing. High five. <laughs> High five. <laughs> but I'm going to try to be more open to the caster clones. <laughs> and she laughs because it's not going to happen. <laughs> no, it is. It is. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. It will. I promise. Just because I, la I laughed at the castorated joke doesn't mean I'm not going to try. <laughs> oh, dear. So shall we continue with, with some 303 feedback? Yeah, we got some interesting feedback from Tom. Tom says, When Rudy broke into Felix's loft, he used a pry bar on the hasp, not on the lock. He broke it off. Felix used a padlock on the outside. It's seen several times hanging on a hook inside with the keys still attached. So you were right. It was a padlock, Chris. I thought so. I thought we had seen a, pa a padlock at some point. Because that was in, maybe we should clarify, that was in response to when we were talking about how Felix locks his door from the outside. Right. There was a padlock. Yes. Sorry. Tom also mentioned that he was in the Canadian Navy for 22 years, so he knows that if you have high security clearance, the need-to-know information is a big thing. Meaning, if something didn't concern you, no matter what your clearance was, you didn't need to know. And Tom says, if the army, in Paul's case, was going to infiltrate agents into Dyad, they wouldn't give them the whole picture in case they were compromised. And Mark wouldn't know at all about any separate operation to infiltrate to infiltrate Dyad, and most certainly would not have been given any names or pictures of those agents. Which, is, of course, is in reference to the conversation also that we had um, in episode 68 about why wouldn't Mark and Paul... Or why did they have that weird conversation in episode 206? Yes, in 206. Yeah, and again, I feel like I can buy that Mark wouldn't know who Paul was, but Mark is a clone. If Paul has seen a clone, he'll know that Mark is a clone. Though people did point out that it's possible Paul hadn't seen a clone, like seen what the clones looked like until he went back into the army it, sometime during season two, because he has that conversation, or not really conversation, but exchange with Mrs. S saying that a lot changed since he went back into the U.S. Army, like he became a major and things. So right. it's possible he hadn't actually, he knew about the clones, but he hadn't actually seen one until that point. Right. Didn't 
didn't have clearance to know what they looked like or anything. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, also, I paid attention in this episode. Mark tells Sarah, I think it was Sarah, that he's been undercover with the Prolethians for a little over a year. Yeah, which was I thought was interesting because I believe when at the end of last episode, when Bonnie was yelling at him, she mentions, you know, him lying to them all those years or something like that. She uses years plural, I'm pretty sure. I don't know anymore. Bonnie perceives time differently than Mark does. <laughs> <laughs> she didn't like him. It felt like years. <laughs> and then we also got some feedback from Julia about the the romance, the romantic feelings we saw from Art toward Beth in the last episode. And she said, I do have to say, I feel like my mom and I are the only people on Earth that thought Art was in love with Beth from the very beginning. I thought that since the episode where he and Paul kind of get into it at the police station, I felt like Art probably kept it really on the down low and maybe didn't even admit it to himself. But I definitely have had the Art loves Beth vibe since the get go. And I will give Julia that like that. The fact that Art had a thing for Beth makes that confrontation between he and Paul. I'm trying to remember what episode that in that's in. I want to say it's in 104. It makes it make more sense. I agree. Because, like, Art really seems mad at Paul. Yeah. And it just, it seems a little over the top. But with this new information, it's like, oh, I get it. <laughs> it didn't not make sense to me before when I thought right. they were just colleagues. Because I could see him b wanting to be protective of Beth, period. It, it, rather, whether he had romantic feelings toward her or not, I, I could see him as her partner, kind of stick up for her. But given that we that we know now that he did have romantic feelings for her it does give that scene a deeper context that makes even more sense mhm mm we also got this message on speakpipe from Leslie thank you for sending it in Leslie hey guys um calling in for the second time um this is just in direct response to the comment about art and um art being in love with beth i i thought that was completely realistic just in that whole like boys that like girls kind of, you know, tease them and punch them. I think especially if he knew that she was already in a relationship, um, he would be very, very concerned about hiding it from her. And um, we also don't know when he went through his divorce. We know he has kids and we haven't seen his wife. So obviously, I mean, he might have still been together with her. And so I think there might have been a lot of complications there and would try his hands. And we also know that Beth was quite, um, would joke around a lot with him because he mentions that, you know, you're not your usual sort of bitey self. So, yeah, I, I, I just found that believable. But, um, yeah, that's just my opinion. Um, great job on the podcast, guys. And then Erin sent us an email and she says, I think Alison would care about the quality of the soap still. It is Alison after all, and she wouldn't want a bad reputation for something she made. I feel 50-50 about plots like Alison's. On the one hand, it is nice when you see the clones working together, such as the breaking into Dyad plan of season two. But on the other, they do all have lives beyond this as well. And so the outside moments are nice to see too. Also, Allison's plots provide light during darker episodes. The the opening remark about Allison caring about the quality of the soap is because you and I went on like a whole thing about Allison's soap making and, and you were talking about how how long that handmade soap takes to cure. Anyway, 
And I, I, I think I agree with what Aaron is is saying here. I, I do like the clones being involved in each other's plot lines, and I do wish we were getting a little bit more of that so far this season. But I do enjoy Allison's plot lines for the dark comedic element that they add to episodes that can otherwise be very, very, very intense and heavy. So I, I, I as far as the should Allison be more incorporated into the main storyline, I, I can see both sides of it. Right. Because it would be nice in the sense that we don't often get to see scenes of, you know, all of the clones working together. And they're fun when we get them. But at the same time, it's like, you know, you get a scene of Sarah basically sticking her finger into Mark's leg to dig out a bullet. (laughs) And it's kind of nice to switch over from that to Allison and Donnie trying to hide their drugs. Yeah. (laughs) You kind of need that moment to chuckle after seeing something so cringe-inducing. You know, digging bullets out of legs or... stabbing scalpels into brains whatever it gets to be a bit much is all i'm saying (laughs) they definitely provide a nice uh, nice bit of levity in the episodes for sure you know who else provides nice bits of levity in episodes i'm sure you'll tell me felix (laughs) was there enough felix in this episode stephanie what do you think (laughs) i'm gonna guess your answer is hell no (laughs) hell no where is my Felix storyline this season? Where? There's not enough Felix. But he's uh, he's being Kasima's wingman, I guess. He is, but I could also use more Kasima. So <laughs> if we could get bo- more, of, more of both of them. Because I was thinking about it, and with Allison and Donnie now working together as a team, it's less likely, likely we'll get a good Allison-Felix subplot, because... Before, she always fell back on Felix because she had to keep secrets from Donnie. But now, she and Donnie don't have secrets anymore, and they're a really fun duo. So Felix, he needs to form, you know, a great relationship with Kasima and and do more stuff with Sarah and get his own storyline. Huh? 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 Yeah? Maybe get a boyfriend? Huh? Meanwhile, I'm now imagining Felix and Donnie, like, trying to bond. Oh, God. It's it's just so funny in my head. (laughs) Oh, goodness. That, no. (laughs) And Donnie probably introducing himself like, hey, I'm Donnie, sup? (laughs) Donnie, stop trying to sound cool. Stop trying to sound hip or tough or whatever it is you're trying to sound like. You just, you just, no. Does not work. Don't you kind of want to see it now, though? <laughs> I would like to see a scene in which Felix and Donnie had to interact in a prolonged for a prolonged period of time. That could be pretty entertaining. Like maybe Allison decides they need to have a dinner party or something. It would be so awkward and so fantastic. I wonder if Felix will wear his yachting outfit again. <laughs> <laughs> Probably. And we'd like to thank everybody who's left us a review or a rating on iTunes. We really, really appreciate it. It helps people find the podcast and and whatnot. If you're inclined to leave us a review on iTunes or Stitcher, there are links to do all that at tatianaiseveryone.com slash support. There's also a link there to our Zazzle store. And I think there's also, is there a donation button on them? There is. There's a, there's a PayPal donate button. And, you know, 
the podcast is is free, will always be free, but it does cost us money to produce and put on the interwebs. So that sort of thing is helpful. Any of that is helpful. So so thank you. We'd love to hear your thoughts about this episode. Thank you to everybody who sent us feedback that we included here already. But you can also send us your thoughts about it. Go to our website and leave a comment on the show notes at tatianaiseveryone.com slash 70. You can also send us an email to feedback at tatianaiseveryone.com. You can also call and leave a voice message on our listener voicemail line at 972-514-7223. Or you can send us a voice message by using SpeakPipe widget on the right-hand side of our website. Just click the send voicemail button. We're on Twitter at TIE Podcast, and we're also on Facebook. You can also, if you feel like it, just record a message on your mobile device and like email it to us. That works too. Yes, the Voice Memo app. There's a voice built-in one on iPhone. You can download a bunch of free ones uh, for Android devices, and you can record a voice memo and email it to us, and that works great as well. That's what Sally did. And this week, points one, two, three, six, and seven were played by Tatiana Mislani. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.